Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. 13 and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Tennessee 7, Indianapolis 3. Pretty good game here on Thursday night. You got the Titans at 6-2. and two, Colts at 5-3. and three. There goes Henry, about a 20-yard run for him. Excellent football player, huge running back. Titans got a good squad, but the Colts are uh, hanging around in that race as well. The Masters today, now the course playing uh, a little easier than you would expect because of some rain in the morning. So, yeah, it, it plays longer, but it makes the greens a lot easier to work. Paul Casey shot seven under. Tiger Woods right there. He's four under par. Dustin Johnson only halfway through his round. They weren't able to finish the round today. He's three under par. Bryson DeChambeau, the big hitter, was uh, not very straight today. Uh, I saw bits and pieces of his round, and I saw him hacking out of the woods like something I would do playing at Riverside or at Devon, but he uh, was able to record a two under par. Phil Mickelson, one under through 11. Mike Weir and Nick Taylor, the top Canadians at one under. Taylor still has five holes left to go. The other two Canadians further back, tied for 72nd, Corey Connors and Adam Hadwin are both two over par. Freddie Freeman is the National League MVP, and the AJHL will start tomorrow Despite uh, some of the restrictions placed today by the province, it does not apply to uh, junior hockey. So six games for the AJ to face off tomorrow, including Sherwood Park going to Spruce Grove. As we welcome Bob Stoffer from Oilers now to the show, who is, uh, would you say you've, you've followed Derek Henry ever since his first year at Alabama or even going back to his high school career, Bob? Yeah, he was a five-star recruit. Uh, you know, I, there was it's these days it's it's kind of similar. Well, it's a little bit different than uh, the NFL draft, as you know. We've seen a move away from uh, top-end running backs, sort of going. I mean, you got to be pretty special. You got to be explosive if you're going to go sort of in the top five or six overall picks. I think Saquon Barkley went second a couple of years ago to the Giants. Uh, usually you've got to be fast, explosive, and you've got to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, Henry was a five-star recruit, I believe, out of Port Lucie, Florida. Um, they got a guy similar to him, similar build, maybe not quite as explosive in the open field. That's what's deceptive about Derrick Henry is he's, you know, six foot three, but he's 245 pounds. But last year, uh, I know he had a couple long touchdown runs the same game. He had a 99-yarder and then about a 45-yarder. And on the 45-yarder, he was the fastest a player was all season long. So I've watched him a ton. Of course, he won the Heisman Trophy. I watched his last college game, Jack and me and Chris Westcott went on the NCAA championship game between Clemson and Bama. That was the first one. And uh, I think he's second in the NFL in rushing right now. So I'm a big fan of his. And not surprisingly, Reed, on the sports team, fantasy football team, which I've been a part of since 1995, uh, he is a uh, he is a part of my team. He's been on my team, and it's a continuous pool. So he's a big part of the team. What was the year uh, Alabama had three guys? Uh, I, I can't remember if it was him, but didn't they have that T.J. Yeldon? 
Yep. They had like three guys that wound up in the NFL where there are three running backs. Was yeah, that they, Henry Yeldon and somebody else? Yeah. Uh, Rich, Trent Richardson was there when Yeldon was there. And then uh, before Trent Richardson, Mark, Mark Ingram. So Mark Ingram's father oh, okay. was, was the one that got into some criminal difficulties and was in prison, didn't get a chance to see his kid play in a national championship game. Mark Ingram won the national championship and is you know currently out with the Baltimore Ravens. Richardson basically ate his way out of the uh, uh, NFL. He just couldn't keep his weight down. He was the third overall pick of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Ingram was a, sort of a late first-rounder in New Orleans. Uh, and then at one, I, I know two weeks ago I looked it up. Alabama had 70 uh, players in the National Football League, and they had a starter with Tua Tagovailoa now being the starting quarterback for the uh, uh, Dolphins. They had a starter in every position, and no other college football oh, program had that. So I know I've had this debate in the past, uh, and you know, with a program like Alabama, when you're full of four and five star recruits. Um, but their entire offensive and defensive lines, those guys are five-star recruits. You know, they'll, they'll have they'll bring in two five-star recruits a year on the O-line and D-line and then just rotate those guys around. Now, the one thing that's mitigated against that has been the spread option offense uh, because teams have got quarterbacks that are dual threat and then they limit it, you know, they, they limit it the amount of uh, transition uh, players coming in and out. So if the offense doesn't change their personnel, the defense they don't have time to change the personnel. They have to have the same guys on the field, and that's worked against Alabama because Alabama's defensive front seven in particular, probably for the better part of a decade, was the best in college football. And we are going to look back at this 15 to 20 years from now. They're going to do an ESPN 30 for 30 on what Nick Saban accomplished there and turning that program around. They were a once-great program, as you know, under Bear Bryant. Yeah. And this has been, I mean, they've won five national titles in the last 11 years. Their program is about excellence, and their game got canceled this week because LSU beat them last year and won the national championship with Joe Burrow. They're two and three. Bama was going to go down into Death Valley and destroy LSU. So, yes, LSU played the COVID card, and it's probably legitimate to a certain point, but a little bit opportunistic, too. And just to show a comparable read. LSU had, like, Jamar Chase is going to be a first-round draft choice in the NFL this year. He's a wide receiver at LSU, and he opted out. And none of the Alabama guns opted out. Everybody opted in because, they, you know, that program, you know, that's the sort of, you, you go there, you get better. And that's what it's all about. They make everybody better when they go there. Trent Richardson was uh, briefly a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, of course. Uh, he was he was okay. I remember he had a few good games. I don't think he he transformed them or, or anything like that. But yeah, he, he pretty interesting. Uh, all the star players that come out of that program. Okay, uh, Bob, I was talking about it uh, most of the first half hour of my show. I know it remains a big topic on Oilers now. January 1st, there was a Board of Governors meeting today, conference call, NHLPA conference call. No official announcements coming out of that. January 1st remains the target. We'll see. Is it going to be modified hubs? Is it going to be series like baseball where Edmonton might go to Winnipeg and play Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then go to Montreal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. There's a lot to sort out. And I was talking earlier, the, the finances maybe are going to play as big a factor as COVID. And COVID's obviously playing a huge factor. Some owners, will they lose less money if they don't play? Uh, the players, are they going to settle for, you know, two-thirds of their salary if it's two-thirds of a season? Or are they going to try to get a little bit more? I think those are two, two storylines to keep an eye on. 
I think this is completely different than the return to play for the playoffs. Uh, your listeners know this because they're smart. The players get paid during the course of the regular season. They basically had like 90% of their money last year and needed, you know, and, and so Don Fear probably had the tougher job selling his constituents on returning to play for the good of the game and to recoup some of the television money that would have been lost if we didn't complete the season. I believe this is a completely different scenario. I believe that the players, uh, you know, my belief is that they really want to play. And it's the players that would like a longer season. I think that there's several owners, and you rightfully mentioned, uh, that there'd probably be some operators in the league that are sitting there going, well, I've already lost $30 million. We're not going to have fans, at least until March, April at the earliest. Do I want to lose another $20 million bucks here? Or do we just either not play next season or delay things? Now, I, I believe Batman wants to play. And it's funny, Gary said January 1st, all along and i thought well that's not going to work with the players because you know why would they want to come in a training camp during the uh, middle of december to the end of december i'm now the information i'm receiving suggests that the players are uh, would prefer playing you know the more games they play the better i realize that some people think that they're going to get all the money you know they have 20 percent escrow 10 percent in deferral and they're going to get that other, it works out to about 72%. That's highly unlikely and highly pro- problematic because it's, you know, it's going to be paid based on the percentage of games that you play. So if you're a player, you want to play more games. So, Reed, I do think two weeks ago I would have said higher probability January 21st to, to drop the puck in the NHL regular season. To me, I now think we are looking at January 1st to 3rd. I think the players will be pushing, and then Bettman will be selling back to the owners for the long-term good of the game. That's my interpretation based upon the numerous conversations I had today. I, I think you make a great point, and as we've seen, Bettman's always quite careful in what he says, but he kind of, you can almost sense publicly when he shifts from speculation to salesman mode, and I just got that sense when he made the comment in that online, uh, that virtual summit he was on, couple couple days ago just the, the language he used and and saying it and saying it at a time when the nba is starting december 22nd i, I mean if the nhl is going to start january 1st then they they have to tell us something within the next week if they're going to be operating on a similar time frame to get a season started 100 percent, and you know good on you for tying in the there's always a comparable with basketball because of where Bettman came from. Now, the television deals are completely different. And I know Gary stated uh, when he did his pre-Stanley Cup final availability that 50% of the revenue comes in from TV. Uh, I was surprised that that number was that high, uh, especially given the fact that we know the U.S. TV deals nationally only worth $200 million a year. The, the Canadian national TV deal is in excess of $425 million a year. Uh, they also, I think they want to finish it because I think they, they've got Seattle coming into the league. They're going to have a new TV deal down in the States. Uh, so I think there's lots of reasons for the league and for New York to try to get uh, things going uh, for 2021. And basketball, you know, is always sort of in the background. The difference is the two leagues have a completely different revenue source from television. But uh, nonetheless, Reed, I'm, I'm probably up to about 95% that we're going to play. And I realize COVID remains a significant challenge throughout Canada and the United States. Um, but I think they're going to find a way to, they've already shown that they can work around it to a degree. It might not be a, you use the word hybrid. That's probably the inevitable route we're going to be going at least until we get people vaccinated and who knows when that's going to be. 
Well, I, I, I still, and look, Bob, we, obviously when we talk like this, it's a combination of stuff we've heard and, and things we speculate on because the, yeah. the information's moving all the time. But I, I still wonder what I've said before, is, is this going to be half a schedule that comes out? The AJHL is starting tomorrow with an incomplete schedule and no end date. Now, the NHL will probably have an end date, but I still really think there's a good chance they say, okay, here's the schedule for January 1st to March 10th, and then we're going to see what we can do yep, that the is, rest of March and April. What what happens here is creative organizations, uh, winning organizations, come up with creative solutions. That's why I was so exasperated and frustrated, as you know, with what occurred with university sport. Like, they just quit trying looking for solutions. And, and You know what I mean? No, we can't play. Instead of, like... Why would you decide in June that you were gonna, your athletic programs weren't going to play or decide across the country in uh, October that you can't have national championships? What happens if you have you know, a, va- a vaccine option? And, and maybe it's accelerated, but what happens if you have a, that option in place by February 1st for everybody? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's I, – I realize that might seem out of the realm of possibilities, but never say never. Uh, you've got several – of the top flight uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world trying to come up with a solution. We know Pfizer has come up with something. We'd be naive to believe there isn't five or six other significant players in this that are very close to a similar announcement. So uh, I applaud the NHL for trying to find ways to make it work, and I believe that the players are very open to getting as many games as possible. And I think because of that, it bodes well for uh, a return to play you know, maybe the players come in around the I, I Reed, as you know, there's five or six guys already town skating right now. Yeah. On dry settle. I know Tom Gazzola tweeted that out a couple of days ago. So maybe we're looking at an inevitable, uh, you know, an inevitability of a situation where training camp can start, you know, December 1st, December 15th, and we drop the puck January 1st. Yeah. Okay. Quiz for Stoffer. I got three questions today. I'm really excited. Uh, the ca- okay. Here are the categories. The Masters, the Heisman Trophy, and Dave Semenko. What do you want first? Uh, let's go. That's, I want to feel good about this experience. So let's go the Masters first, the question I'm least likely to get. All right. In 2005, Tiger Woods made that epic shot to chip in on 16. That gave him a two-shot lead, but he wound up having to win the Masters in a playoff because he bogeyed the last two holes. Who did he beat in the playoff in 05? Phil Mickelson. Chris DeMarco, who had a chip-in for birdie lip out on 18 that would have won him the tournament. Chris I DeMarco. I would, I would, by the way, I'm obviously cheering for Dustin Johnson, just so everybody is aware. Okay. I like uh, I like Dustin Johnson. I'm not a huge Deschambeau fan. It bothers me how he stands like that. Uh, <laughs> Heisman think, next? Is it not Patrick Reed that's the guy that a lot of... Patrick players... Rhodes. Patrick Reed's the um, guy that has... Yeah, disowned his parents and allegedly might have stolen some money from teammates at uh, yeah. was it was it uh, Georgia State? I can't remember where it was. It's it's the university that's in in Augusta. Yeah, okay. he's not well liked. Who uh, who was the most recent Heisman Trophy winner to never play in the NFL? Oh, the most recent Heisman Trophy winner to not have played. Uh, in the NFL. All right. So, uh, who was the guy that played uh, basketball for Notre Dame uh, or for uh, for the New York Knicks? It was, was not Charlie Ward. All right. What about Chris Leak? Bob, Sorry, it was who? Jason White. Jason. Oh, at Oklahoma. 
Was, did, so I, t- I you you said it was too easy last time, buddy. So I got to bring it tonight. Well, now I'm wondering: is Jason White the quarterback from Oklahoma that got killed, killed in a plane crash? There was no. A he's a, he, he, he's alive. He just they didn't think he was good enough to play in the NFL. He got a brief tryout and well, never made a team. Went, how many guys went from Oklahoma at quarterback? It's unbelievable, right? Like, take a look at it. We got Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, last year the guy from Alabama. He's currently playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, the quarterback from Alabama went to transfer to Oklahoma for his final year. Uh, the two took the Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know. Like Aikman Oklahoma. was at Oklahoma before UCLA, too. Don't forget. Who, who was? Yeah, Troy Aikman. Aikman, way back. Yeah. yeah. 81.8% completion percentage when he was at uh, UCLA. Not bad. And what Dave did Dave Semenko do for the first? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. First and only time in his career on October 19th, 1980. He had a hat-trick against the New York Rangers. There we go. 4-2 win over the Rangers. Three goals and an assist. Gretzky had a goal and three assists. Uh, we're going to give you uh, two points out of a possible four because you got the Dave Semenko question on the day Dave's drive is launched. Sound fair? Well, fair enough. I'm upset <laughs> about Chris DeMarco. And I, geez, for some reason, I thought that Chris Leak, well, you know what, now I'm thinking Chris... Who's the, 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 oh, Troy Smith. That's what I was thinking of. Troy Smith. Oh, he played for the Ravens, and then he yeah, came he to the Alouettes, I believe. I got Chris Leak and Troy Smith. Uh, Chris Leak was quarterback at Florida before Tim Tebow was there. So, who, by the way, Reed, makes about 800000 a year on TV for people wondering, well, why wouldn't he ever try out the CFL? Well, because he'd make about eighty to hundred k coming up here. Uh, you know, no one's paying him 400000 Maybe... Maybe Ed Herbie might a separate deal with uh, Mike Riley, but that's another story. Oh, there you go, Bob. Yeah, you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> Right. Take care, bud. Good stuff. That's Bob Stoffer. Check it in. Uh, love talking to Bob. He loves his college football. Uh, I'm not sure he loves the quiz for Stoffer, but he always humors me. We're back after the break. <laughs> The 2005 chip in by Tiger on uh, number 16 at Augusta, just an incredible shot. I remember watching it live and just being stunned. The great call by Vern Lundquist in your life. And that put Woods up by two with two to go, but he bogeyed 17 and he bogeyed 18. And DeMarco was just off the green on 18 and hit a chip that looked like it was going in and it lipped out. And if that goes in, DeMarco wins the tournament and his chip in gets as much play as Tiger's does uh, does now. Instead, they go to a playoff and Tiger won on the first playoff hole. Woods with a good round today, 400 par. He is three off the lead. It is now 10-10 with six minutes left in the second quarter. Indy and Tennessee in Thursday night football. Hockey Hall of Fame week continues next with Phil Housley. Golden Dark. 
All right, 10-10, Colts and Titans, 3.02 left in the second quarter. Titans here are down on the three-yard line, so they'll try to punch it in to take the lead. Paul Casey, 7-under at the Masters. He has the first-round lead. The first round, however, not completed today. Well, it has been uh, really cool this week featuring Hockey Hall of Famers on the show. We've talked to Mark Howe and Lanny McDonald, and tonight we welcome Hall of Fame defenseman Phil Housley. Phil, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. I'm down there in Arizona getting ready for, you know, whatever comes next. Uh, you know, our guys are getting prepared and coaches are getting prepared uh, for and we're ready for the start of the of the whatever phase it is in training camp. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, everybody's calendar is, is thrown off. You know, I, I do the Oilers pre- and post-game show with uh, with Rob Brown, who you would have uh, encountered in your career, and and he always says, at least for him, that he was just such a creature of habit, and your body clock's telling you, it's November, why aren't we playing games, and, and now you're into coaching. How, how are you dealing with that part of it? Well, I think it's just that what we're, what we're dealing with here, and we're trying to make, uh, you know, ends meet and trying to, make sure we're prepared for anything that comes our way. So uh, I, I know it's uncharted territory. I thought the NHL did a terrific job last year in the bubble. Um, and hopefully, you know, coming this year, the uh, things will change for the better as far as the pandemic goes, but we got to plan accordingly. And, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, we're looking forward to the challenge that comes comes ahead. Yeah, for sure. Phil, you know, we're featuring Hall of Famers on the on the show this week, and I want to go back over some points in your career. But I want to ask you this. The phone call that you were getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame, a special moment, and now with social media and video everywhere, it's, it's often shared with people. But I want to get your perspective. What do you remember about that call to the hall? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, it was, it was uh, quite extraordinary. I'll try to make it short, but we were actually uh, getting our son orientated, my son Wilson orientated with uh, Arizona State University. We were on a trip down there. Uh, this was his final, you know, goodbye and getting him into some housing. And uh, we were actually having breakfast at Tay and I sort of stole, stole his thunder with that phone call from Lanny and John Davidson. And I'll never forget it. Uh, was a, you know, you know, it, it, I, it, you just don't have the words that describe it, but uh, I felt bad for my son because here he's finally got accepted to ASU and this was about him and it turned quickly into uh, me being inducted. But, uh, you know, those things, you'll, you'll, you'll never forget where you are uh, when the fall phone call uh, comes in. And uh, I was happened to be in a good spot uh, with my son and my wife uh, at Arizona State University. That's well, that's really cool. And I mean, for you, I mean, in a great career, you like you're over 1500 games, playoffs and and regular season combined. You're not that far from a pointer game, which for for a defenseman is incredible. You, you played internationally for the United States several times. Did you ever think about the Hall of Fame as in, oh, gee whiz, I wonder if I'm, I'm good enough. I think does that go through an athlete's head late in their career or once they're retired? I think in, when you start out and you're playing, you're just uh, in the heat of the competition and, you know, what's the next game and, you know, you you get towards the end of your career, you're, you're still not thinking about it. You're thinking about your next opponent, you know, uh, your next practice and how you want to approach the game and prepare. And, but I think after you're done and you sort of get some time to reflect, yeah, you, 
you think about it because it would be a, it's a tremendous honor to be in, uh, in the hall and with that group of players that became before you and um, all the people that paved their way to get into the hall of fame and, and gave other players opportunities. And uh, so, yeah, you, you come to think about it, but you know, for me, it was a uh, time passed by and you just never knew you thought it was that year. You thought it was going to be the next year. You thought you had some, you know, a, a strong case for one year, but uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, once you, once you get the call, once you get in, uh, it's tr it's a tremendous honor and I'm very privileged. Phil Housley joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, Phil, let, let's go back. I, I want to really go back. Uh, a, a, a small Phil Housley, the little guy. Who, who got you on skates? <laughs> Do you remember your first skating experience, hockey experience? What's the story here? Well, it was my dad. Um, you know, he got me out there at four years old, pushing a chair around. There was a lot of access uh, where I grew up in South St. Paul, um, a suburb of St. Paul in Minnesota, a lot of access to rinks, whether it would be a hockey rink or just an outdoor rink where there was just, you know, people skating around and there's warming shacks. But uh, my dad actually got me pushing the chair and there it just sort of evolved from there. And uh, then it was the outdoor rinks. And I was pretty fortunate to have uh, uh, the kid I grew up with uh, live across the street, uh, had an empty lot, which he turned into a hockey rink. So it was 24-7, whether it was in the morning or after school, uh, we found a way to get out on the outdoor ice. Were you always uh, were you always a defenseman, or did you move around positions? What happened there? Well, it's a good story because uh, when I played, you know, amateur uh, in traveling programs, I was a centerman, and uh, Doug Woog, who, you know, who's been a great coach and uh synonymous with South St. Paul and the state of Minnesota with the U of M. He was the high school coach at the time and I was in ninth grade and he's the one actually that put me back on defense. He thought I could see the game. Um, I think he wanted just to get me out there more. Uh, eventually when I, after my ninth grade year, I made the team, uh, which was sort of unheard of because the tradition in South St. Paul carried a lot of great hockey players, but made the team as a freshman. He's the one that put me back on defense and uh, just sort of took off from there. Well, it obviously worked out very well for you and, and you wind up going to the NHL. You started off uh, with the Buffalo Sabres through the 1980s and um, I think that was a bit of an up and down decade for the Sabres. And, and I guess it probably didn't help Phil. You were stuck in a division with, uh, with Boston and Montreal and then, you know, Quebec kind of started getting better after, well, I guess they were probably good when you first got there and then they got better after you left, but uh, you, you had some, some Canadian opponents and some original six opponents playing in that division. Yeah, it was great. You know, like my first year, uh, you know, you hear the horror stories about uh, the Adams division and my agent even said when I was drafted, you might have to spend a half a year down in the minors before you get called up. And um, I said, there's no way I'm going down to the minors uh, just with, you know, you hear the things about, you know, how intense and how aggressive and physical it can be. But fortunately I made the team and uh, you know, and Guy Lafleur was my idol growing up, and uh, you know our first exhibition game with uh, Buffalo was against Montreal at the old Forum, and I, you know we're doing the three-line shooting drill, and I'm back to back with them, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Um, it's you know just some of the memories you think about, but 
my first year we had a, a pretty good team. You know, we beat Montreal and they had a really good team in 1983. And, uh, you know, it was the best of five. And we, we shut them out back to back games in Montreal. We came back to Buffalo and won. And, and, and then we played Boston, which was, had a terrific team. Uh, lost in double overtime in game seven. Brad Park scored the winning goal. Um, and we had some really good teams in Buffalo. Uh, you know, we just couldn't get to that that next round uh, after that. And, uh, but, you know, then my career, you know, changed and we, you know, move, I moved to Winnipeg, which uh, had some really good years there as well. I mean, look, you, you jumped onto the scene. I was, I was just looking back and, and checking how you didn't win the, uh, the rookie of the year, but, but Steve Larmer had a pretty good year um, for, with Chicago that year. But so, and I don't want to phrase this to make it sound like, um, you know, you were struggling or anything, but I do want to ask if you had sort of, um, okay, I know I'm good enough to stay in the NHL type moment where you felt like, okay, I actually belong. I don't have to look at these guys in awe and think maybe I'm not quite one of them yet. Did, did you have an epiphany like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think there's not a lot of people out there that know this. Uh, I mean, some people know in the hockey world, but I played in the World Junior in my senior high in high school and was held in Minnesota. And then I had a two game tryout for the national team um, that was going to play the world championships in Tampere, Finland. And I had two game tryout in, in, in Germany. I made that team. And the funny thing is, you know, played with a lot of the 1980 miracle on ice players like Mark Johnson and Mike Ramsey and Pavlich uh, to name a few. And, uh, we, we, I played in that tournament. I did play against Wayne Gretzky in Team Canada. You know, I played against the Red Army, and I thought I had a pretty good, I could hold my own, and I was still, hadn't graduated my senior year in South St. Paul, so I felt like, you know, I, I, I think I could, I could challenge and, and, and be a part of the NHL. Um, I, I was traveled around and saw all the schools, but I, my mind was set on making the NHL, and you know, I got drafted in the first round, the sixth pick overall for Buffalo. Um, and then, you know, that summer I worked extremely hard and went to camp. I had a really good exhibition year and I made the team. And I just thought, you know, that was a really telling tale for me um, playing in the world championships against pros. And I thought I held my own. And uh, I took that experience to my first training camp in Buffalo and uh, made the team. Phil Housley joining us tonight on Inside Sports as we continue with Hockey Hall of Fame Week. You're talking to an Edmonton audience here. Uh, which Oiler gave you? The, I mean, look, obviously Wayne was there, but they had other uh, guys on the team with with different dimensions. Which Which Oiler gave you the most fits, or or did you get into the most battles with? Do you think? Well, I think Wayne was. <laughs> was just, uh, it was a great challenge. I mean, to play uh, against one of the greatest of all time, and you know, he was. A little bit earlier in, in his career as well um so that i always look forward to i thought you know he was just incredible his mind uh, was way above the years uh, you know playing just the way he thought the game and being ahead of the play and but i thought glenn anderson and mark messi were two customers that were very difficult to play against one glenn anderson had speed and grit and and, and moose was just 
one of those players that uh, you just had to keep your head up because you, you never know what you're going to get. And he was a physical presence out there and, and, and with his scoring touch. So um, we had some really good battles with Edmonton, uh, really enjoyed the competition. And, uh, uh, you know, always look, you always look forward playing the best. And obviously they were one of the best in the 80s. Phil, I, I was looking back over your career to get ready for this interview and Buffalo certainly remember that Winnipeg, uh, you know, a couple stints with Calgary. And I was like, okay. I remember that. I remember that some of the other stints I, I didn't quite remember as well. But then once I read about them, I was like, Oh yeah, Phil, I got to admit, I had, I had no memory of you playing one game with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like <laughs> what is I, the know, story there? <laughs> it's a funny story because I was uh, playing with Chicago and I had broken my foot prior to the uh, trade deadline and I know Pat Burns and we've crossed paths, whether it was all-star games or the awards dinners and always seemed to really have a good relationship with him. And I think he wanted me, but I, it was tough because, you know, I was out eight weeks. I had one practice and I had to jump right in to uh, play one game and then playoffs. It was just a difficult time uh, for me to just to step in because, you know, from February on, everybody's getting ramped up and here I am just trying to get healed and get back into the play. And uh, it was tough for me because it didn't want to end it that way. But, you know, it was great to play from a, a Toronto Maple Leafs organization, one of the, you know, uh, you know, original six. So it was a great opportunity. A couple more for you, Phil. You, you played through an era and then coached in an era where a lot of older buildings got replaced with newer ones. Is, is there an older rink that you really miss that you really went into and just felt, Oh, what a vibe here. This is incredible. You know, I always loved the, you know, the original six buildings like Toronto Maple Leafs, the garden, the old Boston garden, the forum, um, those, those places, you know, had such history and, uh, you know, I, I go back to the, my early days with Buffalo, which was quite an experience to, you know, to, to go play in those buildings because of the history and the players that came before me, the playing there. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I never would take a chance or never turn up the, a chance to play in the Madison Square Gut, another original six. I just really enjoyed playing and the buildings that had a lot of history in them. And, you know, obviously the buildings became bigger and better. And, uh, uh, you know, and just the visiting team coming in, there was so much more room in the locker rooms. And uh, I enjoyed that part of the game as well. Phil, th there are so many exciting young defensemen in the game today. We've seen, you know, McCarr and, and Hughes and, and Haskinen and a whole bunch of other guys burst onto the scene and Hedman's going strong. You were an, an incredible player, you know, several 20-goal seasons, 70, 80, you know, 90 points a couple times. You could get the puck up the ice. You could finish chances. So I, I just find that interesting that I think your style, I, I, th I think anyway, would have fit in well in today's game. So I'm wondering what you think of that and if there's a current player that reminds you of yourself at all. Well, I think the rule changes have really helped the, the, the game, you know, to bring out the skill of the players and uh, you know, the game's getting faster because of it every year you think, well, it's, it's, it's at the peak and all of a sudden the next year's there, it's faster. The athletes now are incredible right up and down your lineup. Uh, the, the players are well-prepared. Uh, uh, you know, it's a big business now and uh, uh, players are very 
very work hard and get in shape and, and they know uh, it's a great opportunity to play in the NHL. But I think when you look at there's you just named the few like uh, Quinn Hughes, uh, McCarr, um, you know, Heisken and all these guys can skate and make plays and at a high speed. And I wouldn't, uh, you know, Rasmus was uh, the player in Buffalo that I coached was is a incredible talent. These guys can think the game. And I think the game is geared towards guys that can get up the ice, move a puck and, and, and make a play and, and jump into a hole. And uh, those guys can certainly do it. And you've seen it uh, early in their careers. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more, Phil. Thanks for being so generous with your time. I'm when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm kind of going to have a little bit of fun here, but I think you'll know what I'm getting at. What would, um, what would have irritated Phil Housley, the coach most about Phil Housley, the player? <laughs> do what I say now as I do, but <laughs> you know, it's just funny because he, I think in the eighties and the nineties, you could get away with, uh, you know, maybe getting caught once in a while, but, in today's game with the transition, uh, it's tough. You have to make the right play you, 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 or somebody's going to have to cover for you because everybody gets up the ice so fast and everybody wants to play fast. So I think for me, it's just being patient, uh, realizing that the game is different than when we played. It's 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 physical, it's fast, and you got to understand that, that players are going to make mistakes. And I think for me, it's just patience and and working through those the, those mistakes, and also, um, I think as a player, just just you know, not always being so hard, and uh, and make sure that you let the players that they're 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 doing well, and they're playing well, and you get them a pat on the back because I think that really helps their confidence, and it's going to bring the best out of the player. Phil, thank you so much for coming on Inside Sports on 630, Chad. Uh, great memories of, of your career and, and great perspective on where the game is at right now. We really appreciate your time and all the best. Look forward to seeing you on the bench whenever the season gets going. Well, thank you very much and uh, really privileged to be with you guys as well. Thank you. Phil Housley, great defenseman. Hall of Fame week here on Inside Sports on 630, Chad. It was great to have Phil Housley on the show. Halftime on the Thursday nighter. Titans up 17-13 on the Colts. The Colts had to settle for a field goal on a drive into the red zone at the end of the first half. Uh, Rivers got sacked on second down. They were able to spike the ball on third down and get a kick away. You also heard from Bob Stoffer and Jay Onright tonight. Don't forget to go to 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca to get the details on Dave's Drive and how they're going to help out Sports Central. Awesome organization. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer is Kellen Kennedy. Back tomorrow at 6, Rod Langway is going to be our Hall of Fame guest. More fun to come. My name's Reed. Take care.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.